is the NT Country Hour on ABC Radio Darwin and the Northern Territory. G'day there, my name is Matt Brand. Welcome to the program. All eyes on the skies for NT cotton growers who are gearing up to plant the Territory's biggest cotton crop on record. Growers will probably start putting seeds in the ground or will definitely start putting seeds in the ground from the 1st of December, depending on whether the rainfall has been uh, kind to them to this point. The 1st of December, that's next week. How big will this Territory cotton crop be? You will find out soon. Also, who were the big winners at last night's Territory Natural Resource Management Awards? And you'll also today learn about the organisation that's called Ability Agriculture. There are incredible people working in our industry with disability and it's something we don't talk about. And I think there's so much power in just starting a conversation. All these stories and plenty more coming up before 1.30. I hope you can stick around. We are broadcasting right across the Territory on the ABC, streaming online. And g'day there if you are tuning in via the podcast. Our top story today is that the Territory Government has changed the Fisheries Act. The government says it's been changed to acknowledge the existing rights and interests that Aboriginal Territorians have in relation to their land and waters. The government says the amendments to the Fisheries Act and the Fisheries Regulations are part of the Territory Labor Government's commitments under the Blue Mud Bay Implementation Action Plan. Now, in a moment, we'll be speaking to Minister Selena Yubo, who introduced this legislation to Parliament. But first, here is the member for Nemajira, Bill Yan, who raised concerns that the Fisheries Act was changed without proper consultation with key groups such as the NT Seafood Council and Amateur Fishermen's Association. What I first find interesting, along with peak bodies representing recreational fishers and industry, is that changes to the Fisheries Act are not being introduced by the Minister for Agribusiness and fisheries, but instead the Minister for Aboriginal Affairs, which has immediately raised concerns within these representative groups. They've actually asked why this is the case. It is evident that the changes originate from the Department of Chief Minister, which is also curious since it is the DIT that has responsibility for fishing and aquaculture as I understand it. And that is a relevant question. What is the government's plan? It is not clear. All we've seen in this bill is tinkering with the objects of the Act. There has been extremely limited stakeholder consultation and on face value one stakeholder group is being given preference over all others. During the 2020 election, the former Chief Minister and member for Fanny Bay made a promise to the Northern Land Council that if elected his government would review the Fisheries Act and today we see the fruits of that promise. In the second reading speech for this bill, the Minister clearly stated that these amendments and changes were recommended by the Northern Lands Council. While there is nothing wrong with that, everyone should have been allowed to have input into the intention behind and the effects of these changes. What is most disappointing is that fisheries representative groups welcomed the review of the Act when it was announced, as it was quite antiquated and overdue for review to recognise modern practices in an ever-changing environment. This has been a huge missed opportunity to consider all stakeholders and how the objects of the Act be reviewed to provide opportunity, equity and recognition for all stakeholders. That is the member for Nemajira, Bill Yan, in Parliament.
the NT's Fisheries Act has been changed. And as mentioned, the bill was introduced to Parliament last night by the NT's Minister for Aboriginal Affairs, Selena Yubo, who has kindly shared some time for the Country Hour today. Uh, Minister, earlier in the week, the NT Seafood Council called for this bill to be withdrawn. You've done the opposite. Why is that? Thanks, Matt. And um, yes, I did see the Northern Territory Seafood Council media release um, seeking to have the bill that was passed last night, the Fishery Legislation Amendment Bill 2022, uh, withdrawn. This was a commitment that our Northern Territory government made in 2020 as part of the Blue Mud Bay Implementation Action Plan with the Northern Land Council. So it is a piece of work that has been... Um, quite a few years so far uh, and there'll be ongoing work after this. Through that implementation action plan, we did commit to a full review of the fisheries legislation. Um, that process will start to occur and commence um, in early next year, in early 2023. Okay. So um, that- we, we've just heard from the member for Nemajira, Bill Yan, and one of his claims is that the government has just tinkered with the Fisheries Act with the priorities of just one stakeholder taken into account. Is he correct? So, Matt, when we're talking about the negotiations that are occurring around access to Aboriginal land and Aboriginal sea country, those processes are being had with the Northern Territory Government and the Northern Land Council. Uh, I think most of your listeners would know and understand the Northern Land Council legally represents traditional Aboriginal landowners or estate holders, So that process is direct negotiation. So it's basically a party to a party if you're talking about, you know, the legal sense. When we're talking about our key stakeholders, we do have obviously some great interests in Territory Waters. We have some really fantastic organisations who represent the uh, interests of their membership. Um, And I've been able to speak with some of those particular um, stakeholders, but at the end of the day, the government is negotiating directly with landholders through the Northern Land Council, and that's the priority to try and work out what are the access arrangements that may occur um, in the short and medium term. So you're comfortable with that, changing the Fisheries Act and not consulting with AFANT and the Seafood Council in the same way that you've had dialogue with the Northern Land Council? So let me be very clear. We have consulted with stakeholders. We are negotiating with landholders. Okay. So, yes, I'm very comfortable that the consultation with entities like the Northern Territory Seafood Council have occurred and they have occurred over many months. The outcome is obviously through the media release, the outcome is not necessarily something they support, but we absolutely have consulted with the Seafood Council. But is this a good outcome for the Northern Territory for the Fisheries Act to have been changed and groups like AFANT are saying they're in the dark? I think it's a great outcome for the Northern Territory that we have legislation that's been amended that's over 30 years old that actually recognises the rights and interests of landowners. Yes, I do think it's a good outcome for the Northern Territory. Why are you letting the Northern Land Council drive the outcomes of fisheries management in the Northern Territory? So, Matt, it's really important, I think, for listeners to understand. Of course, we've, as I mentioned, we've got that very clear interest in territory waterways by territorians um, from different perspectives. 
when we are doing the negotiations with the Northern Land Council, they are legally representing Aboriginal land owners. So the work that is ongoing through that implementation plan, which is around access, it's around access for more Territorians to be able to have certainty, that is the key priority here, to be able to then provide certainty to commercial industry, to recreational fishers, to everyday Territorians who, if it's not their land, it's not their country, what is the right, respectful way to be able to access um, country, sea country especially? Should commercial and recreational fishers be concerned about what happened in Parliament last night? I don't think anyone needs to be concerned in terms of what the legislation changed. I think, as I mentioned, it is a good story for the Northern Territory to recognise the rights and interests of Aboriginal landowners who are stateholders essentially here in the Territory. Um, You know, we had a Northern Land Council media release just last week on the 18th of November November saying that we're dragging the chain and we're too Mm. slow and then we've got other um, entities around the Territory saying we're going too fast. So it is a job that we have to balance with the responsibility of being government to be able to listen to all the perspectives and take on board feedback, um, constructive feedback often, um, in being able to represent all Territorians to the best of our ability and get some really positive outcomes for as many Territory water users as we can. And just finally, we're about to hear from the independent member for Mulka who believes the change to the Fisheries Act last night doesn't go far enough. And he says government laws and systems have meant traditional owners have been unable to start up commercial businesses. What's your take on that? So I recognise the contribution that the member for Mulka made. Um, Blue Mud Bay is an area that is in his electorate, so he's very heavily tied to that strong history around the Blue Mud Bay High Court decision 15 years ago. Uh, He represents that area of the Northern Territory and he's also deeply connected to country and sea country in that area as a, a family member from that clan. So it is, again, it sort of highlights that what I've mentioned just before around... Northern Territory Government having that responsibility to take on all of the different um, constructive feedback and um, the consultation processes that we've been through to try and find as much middle ground as possible to be able to represent all of the different interests um, that we have across the Territory. So it's a, it, it's a big responsibility, but it's something that we step through and we take, we take on that challenge. A very busy day for you. Thank you so much for sharing time for the Country Hour. Thank you so much, Matt, and thank you very much to your listeners. NT's Minister for Aboriginal Affairs, Selena Yubo. If you're tuning in, this is the Country Hour. And our top story today is that the NT's Fisheries Act has been changed. You might have your own thoughts on this. 0487 99 1057 is the text number here at the Country Hour. 0487 99 1057. The independent member for Milka, Yinya Mark Gulia, he supported the bill last night but felt it could have gone further. Here's some of his speech in Parliament. For Aboriginal people, the water is now different to the land. We have sacred sites and sites of significance in the water. And when people at Bloomet Bay stand, look at the Gulf carpet area, as far as their eye can see, that is where... The boundary lies. One of my countrymen, a family member, um, chairperson of Andaliaqua Council, said 
at Karma one time. The C is our supermarket. C provides everything. Our song lines and stories across water and sea is also important. What has been incredibly disappointing for Yolngo elders is that they cannot participate in the commercial fishing. They cannot create a business in our country and in our waters simply because these Bananda systems say there are no fishing licenses left for tripang or fish or other resources that we have on our country. Our elders are desperate, desperate to create a better life to give our children something more. And yet many elders are stopped from achieving their dreams of business on country because the government have created laws and systems that excludes us. While I support this bill because it outlines the importance of our rights that already exist in Commonwealth law, it is a reminder to others that this must be respected. I am disappointed that amendments to the Fisheries Act are not more, much more substantial, providing real outcomes for First Nations people, such as clear rights to rights that allow Aboriginal people to benefit economically from our land and waters. But I am pleased to see this first step. Thank you. That is the independent member for Mulka, Yinya Mark Gulia. Uh, hi, it's Dwayne Klinkamer here on board the Austral Hunter, part of the Northern Prawn Fishery, and we're in the Mooring Basin, or better known as the Duck Pond in Darwin, and you're listening to the Country Hour. And our news today is that the Fisheries Act has been changed. On the text line 0487 991057, a message here that says, again, typical of how local businesses are treated, waterways should never have been given over in this way from the Torres Strait on. David Cherivalo is the Chief Executive of the Amateur Fishermen's Association of the Northern Territory. Uh, Dave, the Fisheries Act has been changed. You've had a chance to listen to the Minister for Aboriginal Affairs. What do you make of all this? Oh, well, hi, Matt, and hi, listeners. And, and I have to say, um, obviously, we weren't, uh, we weren't pleased or, or supportive of uh, the amendments, but what's even more disappointing, I think, is some of the content of, of that interview. Um, you know, we were told there uh, that fishery stakeholders uh, shouldn't be concerned. Uh, I would say that if you're a recreational fisher, um, if you're a fishing tour operator or if you're in the seafood industry, and if the future reforms follow the process that we've just seen happen here, then it should actually send a shiver down your spine and you should be very worried. Can you explain why? Well, because the process that was followed here it was inappropriate for um, reviewing legislation. Now, when I say that, I don't mean legally inappropriate, but you've got very well-established stakeholders and huge interests in fisheries. 
We heard a defence there that talked about, well, a deal was done with the Northern Land Council and so uh, we did a deal with them uh, for access. And mind you, there has been no new access secured. So I don't accept that premise. Uh, in the first place. And then secondly, uh, that therefore we consult with other groups. Well, how can you meaningfully consult with anybody if you've already signed a deal with another party to say you're going to do something? Um, well, what, what I heard was the government negotiates with the Northern Land Council and it consults with groups such as AFAN. You cool with that? Well, I'm certainly not uh, cool cool with that. And we also heard that apparently it's being done uh, in our best interest. And to be honest with you, telling uh, a professionally represented seafood industry uh, and a community of 40,000 recreational fishers that they don't know what's best for them, uh, it's hard to interpret that as being uh, respectful and to not uh, meaningfully uh, engage with us and negotiate with us uh, really is not good enough. The Blue Mud Bay High Court decision recognised the rights of Aboriginal people in the intertidal zones. Why shouldn't that then be reflected and recognised in Northern Territory law? Look, Matt, first of all, this is, this is where I think this is all a bit confusing for people. Absolutely, the rights of traditional owners and the ownership of Aboriginal land trusts of those intertidal waters and waters over Ab Aboriginal land are absolutely clear. People require a permit if they want to access those waters. Uh, a permit could be an individual permit or it could be an access agreement. And it's absolutely fair that that's uh, respected in territory law. In fact, territory law cannot contravene uh, Commonwealth law. So that's something of a redundant point. Uh, the symbolic recognition of it is absolutely not a problem. But we heard uh, from the minister there about sea country. Uh, we've heard about um, it uh, going further. We've heard about a full uh, act reform kicking off early next year. And we don't know what has been agreed to behind closed doors. Uh, we've seen a $200,000 consultancy issued at the start of the year, uh, which was supposed to provide strategic advice to government uh, on the future of fisheries in the Territory. Um, that's been provided to the government and to the Northern Land Council. That hasn't been provided to AFANT or the Seafood Council. This is a problem. What is coming next? We simply don't know. Uh, and quite frankly, it's not how other reforms are being conducted in the Territory. If you look at what's happening with water, there's a lot of consultation going on and everybody's involved. This has been going on for 14 years. Why, why is there still such uncertainty here from groups such as yourself? Well, I can only say that it's quite clear there are two players here who are actually doing the negotiating um, and clearly they haven't been able to negotiate something uh, that has a reasonable outcome for uh, all the Territorians who love fishing uh, and the industries, the tourism industry uh, and the seafood industry. So I think we really need to be asking them uh, why they haven't been able to negotiate an outcome. We, we look at the Blue Mud Bay Implementation Action Plan. Uh, unlike the heads of agreement signed in 2019, it cut out the Seafood Council and AFANT. Uh, it proceeded to negotiate a bunch of things. Now, we've seen some 
good things delivered that, that I think a lot of Territorians would think are, are absolutely fine. We've seen changes to the Aboriginal Coastal Licence to make it easier for people to start small-scale businesses on country. We've seen $10 million put into an Aboriginal sea company to uh, start uh, um, commercial fishing enterprises. But we haven't seen a enduring or uh, stable permit system uh, being introduced. Fishers have lost access to places like the Finnis and the Mini Mini. Uh, we've got a number of land claims looming where there is a lot of uncertainty uh, and no new access agreements have been signed. So the Territory government's delivered on everything it said it would, but we've not seen any improvements in access. And uh, So I don't know how we're going to see progress on this if we keep doing the same thing. Just quickly, I've got a question here. In terms of fishing as of January 1, do we know what happens is the question. Well, we don't, we don't know what's, hap what's going to happen. And I tell, um, we know that there are a number of areas in remote places, uh, probably places like the Roper River are some of the most accessible places. Uh, the other places are quite remote that are covered by a current free permit that will expire. But we also know fishers have lost access to a lot of uh, important places. And we also know that there are a lot of land claims that have been recommended for grant that are going to start to come online for next year. So there's a lot of uncertainty. Uh, we're at the 11th hour. We've seen uh, legislation passed uh, again on the 11th hour before the NLC full council meeting and stakeholders, uh, business owners don't know what's going to be happening next year. Uh, and if, uh, if that's viewed as being a great outcome, uh, then I think the definition of great outcome needs to be revisited. Thanks for your time this afternoon. Thanks, Matt. Uh, David Chiravalo, he's the Chief Executive of the Amateur Fishermen's Association of the Northern Territory. Earlier in the week on this program, we spoke to the NTC Food Industry Council. And to summarise, it said seafood businesses in both wild harvest and aquaculture are looking to put their investments on hold as they are unclear of the NT government's vision for the seafood sector. 0487 1057 is the text number here at the Country Hour. Someone here says, as far as the eye can see, that means the horizon, which is five kilometres. 0487 1057 Territory cotton growers are getting ready to jump into the paddock. Tell you all about that next. Back on country, Troy Casadality, right across the territory on the ABC. You are tuned into the Country Hour. The president of the Northern Cotton Growers Association says farmers are starting to look to the skies in preparation for planting the next season's cotton crop, and it's set to be the territory's biggest cotton crop ever, as Bruce Connolly explains. Yeah, so growers will probably start putting seeds in the ground or will definitely start putting seeds in the ground from the 1st of December, depending on whether the rainfall has been uh, kind to them to this point. Um, and to this point, it looks like we're going to enjoy a, a pretty healthy wet season, but we, we don't ever know that until the end of the wet season, how, how good or bad it has been for us. But um, certainly our planting window is, begins on the 1st of December in the Northern Territory. And how much is going in this season? What, what's the kind of picture that you're getting yeah, from I, the industry? I think the number is, is around is somewhere between that twelve to 15,000 hectares for this season. So uh, we're looking at you know, seeing some expansion there up from maybe 8 to 12 um, eight last year to 12 this year. So uh, you know, a healthy increase. So the gin will be up and running next year, Bruce. But uh, what are the any are there any looming challenges ahead of this coming season for you? 
Um, so, yes, so uh, inputs such as uh, fertiliser has been uh, very difficult to access this season. Um, those of us who were in a position to early order fertiliser or at least uh, commit to it early in the season have been able to access it okay. Um, and I think all growers have been able to find the, the right amounts of fertiliser for this coming season. Um, having said that, with all the flooding and, and issues that we've seen in southern regions, um, I think there might be a few issues coming for us next season, but that'll be another bridge to cross when we get there. And the Tawu gin, that'll be ready for next year's crop to be processed. How much of a difference will that make in terms of those freight issues and costs that you're talking about? Oh, that's going to make an enormous difference, Max. We will uh, we will then be in the in a similar position to uh, southern growers who are closer to their processing facilities. So um, instead of the X times three that I talked about, it'll be uh, it'll be X plus maybe twenty five percent because we're still you know that we're still talking great distances in the Northern Territory, and for the WA growers that we have to shift our our produce to processing, but um, yeah, certainly nothing like three and a half thousand kilometres to southern Queensland. Bruce Connolly, who's the president of the Northern Cotton Growers Association, speaking there to Max Rowley, the Territory's cotton industry, getting ready to start planting potentially as early as next week. It'll be a big season for Tipperary. It'll be a big season for the Northern Territory. What did Bruce say? Between twelve and 15,000 hectares of cotton in the Territory. Hi everyone, I'm Logan from uh, Blackpool Station at Douglas Staley. Yeah, we've uh, a bit of a mixture of cattle and uh, hay production, 15,000 hectares. And um, you'll listen to the country here. Matt Brown with you this afternoon. Tell me, have you ever been to El Cuestro Station in the Kimberley region of WA? It's a famous cattle station, arguably a very famous tourism destination. And this week, a unique land tenure deal has been struck and El Cuestro will be returned to its traditional owners. I'll tell you more about that soon. You'll also, in the second half of the Country Hour, learn about an organisation that's called Ability Agriculture. There are incredible people working in our industry with disability and it's something we don't talk about. And I think there's so much power in just starting a conversation and who were the big winners at last night's Territory Natural Resource Management Awards? You will find out soon. But first, let's go to the Weather Bureau. Rebecca Patrick is there this afternoon. Beck, there's a severe weather warning for our friends at Groot Island this afternoon. What can you tell us? Yeah, that's right. We've had um, a pretty decent um, area of thunderstorms develop around Groot Island um, earlier today, or late morning it was, Um and, yeah, just um, some heavy rainfall associated with that system. Um, Groot Island uh, at Aliangula has had almost 88 millimetres, and I think about 75 of that fell in about 45 minutes. Wow. So, yeah, quite a dumping through there. Wow. That system, is it moving to the mainland and beyond? Um, it it may do. Um, so yeah, it, it'll be steered in that direction towards the west, towards the mainland. Um, so yeah, we'll see how much it develops. There are some storms developing over 
inland areas as well over Arnhem mm. District. So um, any yeah. of those could have a little bit of um, rain in them as well, I'd expect. On the radar, Arnhem Land is starting to, you know, look like firecracker night. There's all sorts of colours starting to flick up on the radar. There's a bit going on. Yeah, that's right. A bit quieter over in the west um, because we had that activity uh, yesterday evening. So I think things all, um, the atmosphere just needs a little bit more time to recharge over here in the west. Um, But yeah, fairly active across Arnhem Land at the moment and should continue throughout the afternoon and evening. In terms of rainfall, can you share with us some of the figures up to 9am this morning? Because there's some decent numbers there, especially in central Australia. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So we've had a cloud band across um, the southern half of the NT. So even though we haven't had thunderstorms, there has been some persistent um, sort of light rain and showers through that area. Um, So some of the totals that we've seen, um, Hermansburg, 18 millimetres, Wollongaroo, 17 millimetres. So yeah, around that 10 to 20 millimetre range is um, fairly consistent across that area. And can Central Australia and the Barclay expect more? Um, the cloud band's starting to weaken up a little bit. Um, there is still um, a bit of light rain through that area between Alice Springs and uh, and Alicarung at the moment. Um, but yeah, it is starting to weaken, so not expecting a whole lot more rainfall um, through that area. But in general, over the next few days... Um, we are expecting more showers and storms to come across. There is a, a trough that's going to be moving through on the weekend. Um, so, yeah, not just not just that showery overcast conditions, but some storms expected as well across the weekend for um, Central Australia. Okay. Anything else we need to be aware of? Um, no, I think that's the main thing. It's just um, those showers and storms continuing in the north um, and, yeah, a little bit in the south as well. Uh, just finally, can I ask a question? And this comes off something that I've seen on another weather website, and it's in relation to the Gulf of Carpentaria on the 3rd and 4th of December. Suggestions oh, yes. that something quite windy could <laughs> develop. Now, what's your information on that, Rebecca Patrick? Um, yeah, so there are some signs that there will be a trough developing through that area. Um, from mid next week. Uh, so it is an area we'll be keeping a close eye on and there could potentially be a low pressure system developing within that. Are you willing to use the C word, the potential for a cyclone? <laughs> um, I think once you get beyond that week time frame, it's the model guidance is a bit unreliable. Okay. So you might have, you know, one model saying it's a you know, a cyclone and another one saying there's, you know, 10 knots of wind around it or something like that. So at, at this stage, it's a bit too early to call. Fair. And it's the word that you've got to be a bit cautious with, I guess. You can't just throw it out there willy-nilly. Yeah, that's <laughs> right. Don't want to be alarmist, but um, also, you know, it, it is the cyclone season, so everyone should have their cyclone kits ready since the 1st of um, November, um, which I'm sure everyone has. But, yeah, just a reminder that um, it is good to be prepared Okay, thanks for your time. No worries. Thanks, Matt. That is Rebecca Patrick there at the Weather Bureau. That'll be one to keep an eye out on. So not this weekend, the following weekend. Gulf of Carpentaria.
We'll wait and see. Tales from the Tinny. Yeah, on the way out, I received an unexpected message from the missus at the time saying she didn't want to continue on with our relationship. Got an 88-centimetre goldie with his crew yesterday. Called a metre and all my worries went out the window. Subscribe to the podcast. Yes, suddenly I saw him like, wow, big barra. I thought this was going to be a metre. By the time I woke up the next morning, completely forgot that I was even in a breakup. Come on again! Come on! Come on! Or reel it in anytime you like on the ABC Listen app. When it comes to water security for the Greater Darwin region, the Territory Government's working towards two big water projects which are set to cost taxpayers well over $1.5 billion. The first project is returning Manton Dam to service, yeah? And the second, much bigger project and perhaps more controversial project, is building arrows, so building an off-stream dam on the Adelaide River. Infrastructure Minister Eva Lawler has told Parliament that a community reference group has now been set up to help guide the Arrows project. One of the big things that I have recently announced is to make sure that we have a really solid uh, community consultation and we've put in place an Arrows community reference group. That reference group is going to be chaired by Daryl Day. Uh, For people who know Daryl, they will know that he's an independent expert in the area of water, one of the probably the people who, a long-term public servant who has now uh, moved on as an independent consultant but knows probably more about water than anybody in the Northern Territory. On that group, it will be a bipartisan group because this is a vital project for the Northern Territory. It is important that this project, that Arrows, absolutely occurs. It's probably the, the, the big, next biggest project after the railway in the Northern Territory. So on that group, we have Duran Young, who's the member for Daly. We've got Kezia Purick, the member for Goida. We've also got, got Gary Higgins, the previous member for Daly as well. Those people are out and about in the community. They have the ears, the voice of the community. We've got Anna Malagorquist from uh, Kamali Council, Stephen Hoyne from Litchville Council, David Chiavolo from AFANT, Paul Burke from, the Farmer, from Farmers NT, Karen May from um, TRNT, Greg Island from the Chamber of Commerce, um, Ruth Palmer, who's um, representing the Lake Bennett residents, actually, rather than um, her usual hat that she wears, which is around the property council, but she now has a, a property in Lake Bennett, so she'll represent that group. Uh, also, Joe Martin-Jard, who's the CEO of the Northern Land Council. Um, there may be some additions to that group, but this group is it's important because it's about them getting the information, up-to-date information about Arrows, taking it out to the community, but also being the ears and the eyes out in the community and providing information back to government. So um, Arrows is going to be one of the biggest projects we're seeing uh, from the Northern Territory government's um, point of view, but we also need to get Manton Dam back to service. That's the first project to make sure we have that long-term water uh, for the Northern Territory. That is the Territory's Minister for Infrastructure, Eva Lawler, in Parliament, talking about this community reference group that's been set up for the Arrows Project. Hi, I'm Jake Stringer. I'm the manager of Kidman Spring Station and you're listening to The Country Hour. Nearly 50 Indigenous rangers and traditional owners from across Australia are at Parliament House in Canberra today, organised by the Country Needs People group. They've been meeting with politicians to talk about the work they do and the importance of Indigenous protected areas. Dominic Nichols from the Mimmel Land Management Group in Central Arnhem Land had a chat to Dan Fitzgerald from Parliament House a short time ago. Let's have a listen. 
Yeah, so we're in um, Canberra um, at Parliament House with a little gathering to celebrate um, the success of Indigenous protected areas and some of the recent commitments by the government to expanding the Indigenous Ranger Program um, and also increasing the level of support, the dollars support for Indigenous protected areas so we can help manage them a bit better. And throughout the week, you've been catching up with some pollies. Uh, what have you been telling them? Yeah, we've really been meeting with senators and politicians and any sort of advisors and support people to really encourage them to keep supporting the success of Indigenous Ranger programs, um, to sort of recognise that there's still areas such as you know, capacity and resource that could do with a bit more investment um, and that they get a great return on that. Um, so it's been sort of really promoting the positive story, but with that message of you can get a whole lot more out of Indigenous Ranger programs if you really put your back behind it. And you've also been there talking about uh, Indigenous protected areas. Uh, for those who don't know, um, can you explain what they are? Yeah, so an Indigenous protected area is, is a designation under international conventions, um, which identifies an area that is you know, autonomously managed by um, an Indigenous group or Indigenous landowners from that place. Um, and it's, it, it importantly adds to the Australian Reserve Estate, so you know, along with the national parks and wilderness sanctuaries and, and, and other um, protected areas, it's included in that, so it helps satisfy our international obligations as a country. Um, but importantly, it's about recognising the Indigenous control and management of those areas. And Mimo Land Management is hoping to set up uh, its own IPA around the Bullman area. Uh, what do you hope that will achieve? Um, it will achieve a number of outcomes for us. One is that um, it, it adds us into that reserve estate. It connects us through the IPA network with Jelk and Wadakin and South East um, IPA, who are some of our neighbours. And another one of our neighbours, the Arafura Salt Rangers, are also in the process of consulting on an IPA. Um, so it gives us that designation, which also generates a, some management um, support and, and focus. And then importantly, it, it contributes to that sort of international and national promotion of, of Minmile and the work that we do. Well, it sounds like uh, you're busy there at Parliament House. I better let you get back uh, to that barbecue. Awesome. Thanks, Dan. That's great. That is Dominic Nichols, the Chief Executive of Mimmel Land Management in Central Arnhem Land. He's at Parliament House in Canberra. It is 17 past one. Have a careful listen to this promo for the Country Hour. Hello, my name is Tara Gaimala. I'm from Manway. I'm a senior ranger of Waterkin Land Management. My favourite job is taking our kids out on country and teaching them and showing them rock art and passing their knowledge. And you're listening to the Country Hour. Yep, so there's Tara Guy-Muller from the Waterkin Land Management Group. And last night, Tara was named the Territory's Ranger of the Year. What a legend, what a legend. I'm joined this year by Dan Fitzgerald. Dan, who were some of the other winners? Well, the Farmers and Fishers Sustainability Award went to the McKay family at Umbiara Station. That's in uh, Central Australia. Uh, the Resilient and Sustainable Enterprise Award uh, got taken out by Tropiculture Australia. Well done to Chris Nathaniel Chris and the Nathaniel, team there. Chris Nathaniel, well done, yep. 
Um, the Environment and Conservation Award went to Dr. David Little. The Lifetime Achievement Award was actually shared, Dan, and, and quite lovely, actually, what happened last night. Uh, yes, that went to Winston Thompson um, from the Yugalmungi Ranges uh, over in Nooka, and it also went posthumously to Mr Rioli from the Tiwi Islands, who sadly passed away early this winter yeah. and uh, did a lot of work in the land management space on the Tiwi Islands there Absolutely. for quite some time. So, yeah, acknowledged last night at Territory NRM, which was beautiful. Well done to the Berry Springs Primary School, which took out... Both the People's Choice Award and the Next Generation Award. Yeah, did quite a bit of war and waste in their in their little primary school. Good on there, them. So yep. well done there. And the Best Collaboration in Natural Resource Management Award that was taken out by the Indigenous Carbon Industry and Network. And the final one was uh, Waterkin Land Management again with the Indigenous Natural Resource Management Award. Great stuff. Great stuff. It was a sold out event last night at the Convention Centre. So well done to everybody involved. The Country Hour broadcast from the conference yesterday. If you missed it. Well, you miss so many wonderful stories. You can catch it via our podcast. Just going back to our mate, Tara Guy-Muller from the Waterkin Land Management Group, who was named Ranger of the Year. I'll just pass on some of the judges' comments. They said, Tara's passion, dedication and contribution to the organisation and the Waterkin people is exceptional. Every year through his on-ground work, his decision-making and engagement with the community. Well done to Tara. I I might play that promo again. Hello, my name is Tara Gaimala. I'm from Manmoy. I'm a senior ranger of Waterkin Land Management. My favourite job is taking our kids out on country and teaching them and showing them rock art and passing their knowledge. And you're listening to the Country Hour. Well done, Tara. Well done. It is 20 past one. Now, the famous El Cuestro station in the Kimberley will be returned to its traditional owners and the cattle station will become a nature reserve in a land tenure deal that was announced yesterday. It marks a historic change for this property, which has operated as a pastoral lease since 1903. The Willigan Aboriginal Corporation will lease some of the land back to the Gaday Group, which will continue to operate El Cuestro's tourism operation while conservation work will then be conducted on the nature reserve. Paul Lane says the corporation will sublease the grazing portion of the property to a local pastoralist for up to five years before it's then destocked. We've been really conscious that historically cattle is of interest to the traditional owners. It's been on the country all this time. It's a, a mixed relationship about why they're there and all that. But we've been able to accommodate the, an existing sublease agreement with our neighbours, which in their view, as well as ours, is, has been a benefit. They now have a better arrangement for managing the cattle. And part of the quid pro quo will, that will be that they will help us de-herd, de, uh, essentially. So um, it's, it's just been another one of the wins in this. You've got a, a pastoralist that two years ago was very worried about what all this meant for him and is now sitting saying, well, look, I've got the best deal I could possibly get, and I've got only the country that I want to have for my my cattle. Now, while eventually turning away from cattle, Paul says traditional owners will be looking at alternative ways to profit from that land. We have existing five carbon abatement projects across large parts of our country now. We'll be expanding that into the El Cuestro area, and the Discovery Parks people will be buying back off us 
what are known as ACUs, which are the credits that are achieved from fire abatement. We won't turn Willigan country into a carbon neutral area, but we will be taking all of the steps that are going to be necessary for us as a peoples to contribute to these challenges of climate change and uh, the, the future of the well-being of the, of the whole country. This is, this is a national exercise going on here. The North Kimberley is a huge piece of the country. It has some of the greatest biodiversity um, and we got, we're determined to protect it and to uh, look after it. And this is just one step towards making that happen. That is Willigan Aboriginal Corporation's General Manager, Paul Lane. And you can read more about this new chapter for El Questro if you head along to the ABC Rural website. This week on Landline, farming off the grid. We use roughly about 17,000 kilowatts uh, of energy a year, uh, which equates to know, $4,500, $5,000 electricity cost that we save every year. And celebrating the work of country creators. I think it's about making something and sharing it with other people and it brings people together. That's Landline Sunday 12.30 on ABC TV and streaming on ABC iView. People with disabilities living outside Australia's major cities often don't have access to a number of basic services. Kempsey woman Josie Clark has started an online community to bring these stories to a larger audience and shine a light on the contribution people with disabilities can have in the agricultural sector. Landlines Helena Batchkovsky caught up with Josie and her dad Glenn, whose accident years ago has now led to this group that's called Ability Agriculture. I remember getting woken up in the middle of the night to go to Sydney, which was very strange, and yeah, going to visit Dad in the hospital. And I guess, you know, you don't really recognise at the time that you, as a five-year-old kid, you were maybe saying goodbye to your dad. So, yeah, that was um, hard. Glenn's prognosis was still heartbreaking. Well, there's no way... My first memory of it was waking up and looking out the window and seeing Sydney Harbour Bridge and wondering where I was. And, um, yeah, then the news was given to us that, yeah, I'd probably never walk again. I was 41 at the time. So, yeah, never had a sick day. Sorry. Never had a sick day in my life. And, um, yeah, we were just busy with four kids and pony club and work and everything else. Health is the last thing you think of. Josie, the youngest of the four, saw how determined her father was to get back to farming. Two years ago, she asked him a simple question that would transform her life and possibly the lives of Australians with a disability living in rural areas. It just came from a conversation we are having in the paddock one day. She said, oh, you know, is there a support network or, you know, anything like that where you can share thoughts and ideas? And I said, well, no, not really. So she started one launching Ability Agriculture on Facebook and Instagram. For me, it was just sunny to share the incredible stories of people working in agriculture with disability because there are incredible people working in our industry with disability and it's something we don't talk about. And I think there's so much power in just starting a conversation. Nigel Corish's story is just one of many Josie has shared. She's quite incredible. Born with cerebral palsy, Nigel grew up on a broad acre farm near the Queensland border town of Gundawindi. The way I viewed it is that um, I didn't know any different, um, so I was just a normal kid uh, growing up. It wasn't until I probably got to my teenage years where I started to fall behind at sport and just couldn't keep up uh, physically with my friends. And that was the first time I realised that 
uh, had disability and it was going to affect me for the rest of my life. And one of the difficulties being disabled on the farm is uh, using a grease gun to uh, grease the grease nipples and the bearings of the machine. Well, the worst thing you can do is get frustrated, get angry, and suddenly you can't do it at all. So just staying calm, staying patient, and just taking that extra longer bit to do it. And this is a great example of if you are disabled and need help doing it, is uh, putting up your hand and getting someone to help you. And, um, that was something I was not very good at, particularly growing up. And as a young person, I'd spend, you know, I could have spent two hours down a paddock just trying to adjust something small that someone with two hands could do in five minutes. But I was that uh, stubborn and arrogant that I wanted to do it myself. Technology has improved life and work for rural people living with a disability. For Nigel and Glenn, machinery and vehicle modifications have given them independence and freedom and kept them on the farm. The car I got's a dual cab ute, automatic, and it's been modified for me to give me independence, which is a huge thing See you boys. for me. So it's just had the hand controls adapted, like they're fitted by an engineer in Sydney. So, yeah, I can get in that and throw my chair in the back. And when them kids were younger, you soccer and all that sort of thing, Friday night, good, the fun stuff. And, um, yeah, with that gator there, well, I'd be lost without it. Like, it's just been modified um, with hand controls in it. And, yeah, I can just... I can still contribute to the farm in any way that I, I possibly can. People with disability who are deciding whether or not to stay involved in agriculture or even to stay in a rural area... Josie encourages them to check out the Ability Agricultural social pages and take advice from the stories. I think Nigel said it best when he said, for a long time I felt like I was different and that he didn't really apply for things and he said, just, just give it a go. He's like, the worst thing that someone can say is no, but the alternative yeah, is so much better. Are you feeling better now? Or? Don't discount someone because they have a disability. I think you'll find that they'll give you their heart and soul over everyone else. That is Glenn Clark speaking to Helena Bachkovsky, and you can watch the full story on Landline this Sunday at 12.30 or any time via ABC iView. And, of course, while you're there, make sure you check out The Marker Report. I mean, how good's The Marker Report? This Sunday is actually the last episode of the year for Landline, so the last episode for 2022 is on this Sunday, and it will be a beauty. That's it for today's Country Hour. A top story today is that the NT's Fisheries Act has been changed. If you missed our conversation around that, it'll be up on the podcast later on this afternoon. Keep it rural.